This week in KMA Land, Page County officials sound off on eminent domain. Mills County Zoning Board reviews solar ordinance. New superintendents named at Clarinda and Missouri Valley. Plord picked his Green Hills AAA administrator. Jasinski out as Northwest Missouri State President. And Ukrainian war could start a global food crisis. I'm Mike Peterson. Page County officials are planning to send a message on the use of eminent domain for carbon pipeline projects. During its regular meeting Tuesday morning, the Page County Board of Supervisors discussed sending a letter to the Iowa Utilities Board expressing opposition to the use of eminent domain for carbon pipelines in the county. Supervisors Chair Alan Armstrong says the letter would be similar to that in Montgomery County and says he believes eminent domain should not be used in this case especially without landowner payments. If they want to pay the landowners for the use of their land and make sure it's covered, that I don't have a problem, but I understand. I hear different things. Uh, some counties or some states are talking about where they're getting paid to do that. Some they're not. And it worries me, I'm in a domain. I don't know if there's a payment. Currently, three carbon pipeline projects have been proposed across Iowa, with Summit Carbon Solutions Midwest Express CO2 pipeline coming through KMA land to Green Plains LLC in Fremont County. Currently, Summit is the only company to submit its permit application to the IUB. While saying he is also against the land seizure process for these projects, Supervisor Jacob Holmes says most proponents he has talked with, including those in the ethanol industry, point out the potential sales to low-carbon markets. I talked to the guy that I like this summer for, I think it was a different outfit, and that was his big pitch was California will buy ethanol then. However, Supervisor Chuck Morris says the Iowa legislature is already attempting to address the issue of eminent domain for carbon pipelines. So the legislature has put a moratorium on until next spring. Right. Okay. So then, and the Iowa Utilities Board is not going to deal with it. The Iowa Utilities Board, as I understand it, has the authority to invoke eminent domain as they see fit, but now they're not going to even hear the case until March of next year. But Holmes says the letter would serve alongside the state effort encouraging pipeline companies to offer more financial incentives for landowners rather than seizing land. This shows yeah, that we that we are real strongly against wanting him to domain to yeah. take place. Right. Kind of, I think that was what yeah. the point of the moratorium was, or whatever they call it, the year was you guys, we're not going to let you do in the domain this year. You need to get out there and try to buy your path. The board intends to talk with members of the Montgomery County Board of Supervisors and draft a letter stating their opposition for approval at a future board meeting. Mills County officials, meanwhile, took another look at the county's solar energy ordinance this week. At its monthly meeting Tuesday, the Mills County Planning and Zoning Board reviewed several possible revisions to its solar ordinance, including a possible change in height requirements. Zoning technician Holly Jackson says the height discussion comes as many companies have expressed interest in pursuing a dual-use farm in the county. Meaning that they would farm it as well as have a solar energy. So... If we did that, some of them were asking for a height increase. Right now we have it at 15 feet. Now if you're doing a normal solar field, apparently 15 feet is allowed. Um, however, if you were doing something that was dual purpose, that would obviously be higher. Jackson says the proposed heights come in closer to 35 or 40 feet for the dual use farms. 
Additionally, Jackson says the suggestion was made to have all commercial solar gardens or farms require a conditional use permit requiring an annual review by the County Board of Adjustment. However, board member Alan Hughes expressed concerns over the requirement deterring potential companies. You're considering it turning into like a dirt barrel. Like you got to come in every year and say, okay, we're happy with you. But basically the dirt barrel scenario is you, you want to have the teeth to be able to shut them down. Mm-hmm. So... If I'm if I'm in going to invest in a solar farm in those county, I wouldn't want to be able to have somebody shut me down a year later. Additionally, Jackson says she has also received a request to include a section for aviation protection. That has been something that the um, off at Air Force Base we did not include the first time they would like it included. That approval of these analysis are through the FAA and off at Air Force Base that this project will not affect any commercial or military flight. Commission Chair Nick Jamison suggested instead of seeking approval, the companies or county could rather inform the aviation agencies of the project and address any potential conflicts. The commission took no formal action. However, Jackson intends to reach out to Lynn County Planning and Zoning Director Charlie Nichols, who is overseeing a large-scale 750-acre solar project, to present more information on the topic at a future meeting. Two superintendent's vacancies in KMA land school districts have been filled within the past week. On Wednesday, the Clarinda School Board approved the contract of Jeff Privia as its next superintendent, effective July 1st. Currently pre-K through 5th grade principal in the Underwood School District, Privia succeeds Chris Bergman, who steps down to the end of the current school year. Speaking on KMA's 705 newscast Monday morning, Privia says he accepted the position because it met all of the criteria in his job search. I've been very picky over the last couple years looking for a superintendent position, and um, the demographic uh, that I looked at for uh, where I'm currently at, and Clorinda matched up very well. And financially, Clorinda is setting very well with financial issues and you know, it's something I felt would be very comfortable transition for me. Privius says Clarinda's district also has a strong administrative team in place and its schools receive strong community support. Privius says other demographics attracted him to the district. I looked at the special education rate. It matched exactly what we were. I looked at the free and reduced lunch rate seemed to match up really well. So those are two big factors for me, uh, something I'm used to working with and trying to improve our school district in Underwood and I thought I'd be a really good match for Clorinda. Privia was among three finalists for the position interviewed by board members and community stakeholders last week. He accepted the superintendent's post after meeting with the board a second time following the interviews. Privia says the entire vetting process wasn't easy. To be honest with you, it can be pretty nerve-wracking. You're interviewing with 25 people at a time. Um, I went through uh, two groups of mixed people where it was staff, it was community, and actually we had students in there also. So it's a really good vetting process that Brunmeyer Leadership Services runs. Another opening was filled in Missouri Valley as its school board named Christy Goschenauer as its next head administrator. Currently the secondary principal in the Logan Magnolia School District, Goschenauer has previously served as a school improvement and professional development consultant with Green Hills AA and an adjunct professor at Morningside College. Goschenauer holds a master's degree in educational administration from Northwest Missouri State University and a bachelor's degree in K-8 education from the University 
University of Nebraska, Omaha. She received her superintendent's license in educational administration from Doan University in 2015. Gotchadour told KMA News Missouri Valley was a perfect fit. It is really just an, an absolute perfect scenario for me, and the district is everything that, that I was looking for to be able to move on to the next level. So I'm, I am just super excited and blessed that they selected me. Gotchenauer says one of the driving factors for her to pursue the job was the close ties with the Missouri Valley community. I actually live in Missouri Valley. My husband graduated from Missouri Valley. My son graduated from Missouri Valley. Um, it's home for me, and so I have a, a very strong vested interest in um, making sure that the, the good things that are happening in that district and all of the strong educational and facility things that are happening there continue on. The new position is Gotchenauer's first as superintendent, and she says she's excited to bring her well-balanced background in instruction and administration to the next level. I just get to kind of take that up another notch and ensure that as a system and as a district, that um, gets to continue on and that each of, the, each of the levels are supported by what they need to ensure that all students have the opportunities that they need to have the best instruction in the best facilities. And the Green Hills Area Education Agency announced a new chief administrator effective this summer as Dr. Jason Plord was named Dr. Lolly Hawes' successor to the post. Plord currently serves as the agency's executive director of Universal Services and Supports. A 28-year veteran of public education in southwest Iowa, Plord previously served as a director of secondary schools and building administrator for elementary, middle school, and high school levels. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Friday morning, Plord discussed the challenges facing area schools today. Just working with uh, others on ongoing, sustainable, adequate funding for public education. You know, as you mentioned, uh, public education is facing so many challenges and uh, you know, a few that come to mind are just, just the mental health and well-being of, of all the adults and the, the children that we serve and just making sure that they have full support and uh, have practical ways that they can they can do their job and do it well. Another one that's up and coming and we're working with the legislature and the Department of Ed and superintendents and others is just staffing shortages, um, you know, lack of uh, teacher applicants, um, people wanting to leave the field, paraeducators, bus drivers, and, and the whole gamut. So those are things we really need to be paying attention to and uh, working collaboratively to, to support each other. What do you believe are the root causes of the staffing shortage we're seeing as far as teachers, bus drivers, paraeducators, the, the folks in the positions that you just mentioned? Yeah, so we know, I mean, of course, uh, as if public education you know wasn't challenging enough, you, we've added, of course, the last two years of the COVID and and so forth. So that's that's been something that we've had to to tackle and and to deal with. But there's also a sense of a of a public perception um, that we need to challenge. We we work with so many amazing good people that have dedicated their lives uh, to children and and to making a difference in our communities. And uh, they need to know we have all, our full support. We ne- we need to rally around our teachers and our administrators and our paras and so forth. Um, in ways that we never have before. And that's going to take not only Green Hills, but, you know, it's going to take our communities to to rally around some of the the amazing people that that serve us and our children. And as one administrator is coming in, another was leaving. Simon Clark had the story regarding a shocking development at Northwest Missouri State University. 
President of Northwest Missouri State University, Dr. John Jasinski, has announced he will be leaving his post June 30th of this year. In an email to the university community, the president said the Board of Regents told him they would not renew his contract when it ends on June 30th. Jasinski adds he was told the board made the move to, quote, turn to a new chapter, end quote. Later in his email, he asked people to, quote, look critically at the Board of Regents, understand the interworkings and ties to others, discern the intended direction, ascertain support or lack thereof for critical issues, and weigh in on the institution's future, end quote. Jasinski has not clarified what he meant by this in his letter. Jasinski took over in 2009 and has helped the university raise $73 million since then. There's growing concern about worldwide food insecurity issues as the Russian war against Ukraine rages on. Members of a special panel in Washington Wednesday afternoon addressed the threats the war poses to world agriculture and food security. Chaired by Republican Senators Joni Ernst of Iowa and Roger Marshall of Kansas, the panel featured three members of the Ukrainian civil society who called on increased military and financial support from the U.S. and NATO countries. Currently, Ukraine provides 10% of the world wheat exports, 15% of the corn exports, and 50% of the global sunflower exports. Marshall says the Ukrainian war is brewing a perfect storm in the Black Sea, and food insecurity will engulf the entire world if Russia's attacks against Ukraine continue. I think the stage is set for a possible another Arab Spring. It's important that all Americans understand we'll not be immune for this impending food insecurity plague. Americans and all citizens of the world will, will see empty grocery shelves and undoubtedly feel the sting when they check out at the cash register. Marshall says the continuing war is preventing crop production in Ukraine. Ernst says the Ukrainian crop production is expected to drop by 40 to 45 percent due to the lack of fertilizer, pesticides, and diesel fuel. The Red Oak Republican accused Russia of using food as a weapon against Ukraine and targeting agriculture. The best and quickest way to address the food security crisis is for Ukraine to win the war. That is an absolute must, and they can win. And I know they can win. These women that are here with us today know they can win if the United States and if NATO properly equips them to win the war. Dario Kalanuk is co-founder and executive director of the Anti-Corruption Action Center in Ukraine. Kalanuk says the Russian military is demoralized by its lack of progress in the war and called for the U.S. and other countries to provide more military assistance, including ammunition, tanks, fighter jets, even GPS systems to help Ukraine defeat Vladimir Putin's army. We don't want people in Africa, in Middle, uh, in Middle East, not just suffer, to face famine and just six months ago uh, ahead of us. Wednesday's briefing followed President Biden's call for additional sanctions against Russia and for Putin to be tried for war crimes in connection with this week's mass killings in Bukha. After just over a year of service in the community, Clarinda residents and organizations celebrated AIRVAC Life Team's emergency medical services. Clarinda's Chamber of Commerce and the Clarinda Ambassadors held a ribbon-cutting ceremony celebrating the helicopter's first year partnering with the Clarinda Regional Health Center and officially welcoming the service to the community. A celebration took place on Wednesday. In April of last year, hospital officials had brought AIRVAC to the hospital after Air Methods pulled LifeNet 2-3 helicopter out in May of 2020. 
Hospital CEO Chuck Nordyke told KMA News the partnership with the hospital over the past year has been invaluable. Phenomenal service, a great partner of ours. Um, having them here to be able to quickly transport very critical patients um, is tremendous for us. It extends our reach here at this hospital and all the surrounding hospitals uh, and the surrounding uh, EMS services. So it's a, it's a great service, great for the community. Um, life-saving at times. Nordyke added the services provided by the helicopter can often go unnoticed until they're needed. I saw it on Facebook uh, as soon as Julie had this posted about the ribbon cutting. Someone put, uh, you don't know how valuable it is until you need it, which I agree with. So much so that we bought uh, their insurance plan for every one of our staff members' households. Uh, we think that much of our, our staff and we want them to be safe, and we know that this is a great service, and they deserve that. While saying there has been an adjustment period in finding the gel between CRHC's EMS services and those provided by Air Evac, Nordyke says the partnership has pushed the hospital to explore ways to expand their coverage efficiently. They've given us a lot of different ideas as far as um, scene response times and different things like that, which will help extend EMS so that people living more rural don't have um, such long times, you know, travel times and whatnot. Um, so again, it's that it's that partnership and working together with EMS. So there's a comfort level between the two. Um, so if our EMS crews out on a scene, they know, hey, I can get a hold of the helicopter and have them come out and respond, and I don't have to transport the patient and take that time away. So. Nordyke added Air Evac has been working closely with several area EMS teams and providing necessary training for when they do get the call. Uh, they'll go out and do training for site landings, um, you know, if you have a, a, a car accident, let's say in the middle of nowhere, they'll go and land on site. Well, prior to them landing, there needs to be some stuff done to make sure the site's clear and safe. And uh, they do all that training for the folks uh, in first response and EMS, um, fire, police. Air Evac's helicopter team in Clarenda consists of pilot Tim Glass, flight nurse Jennifer Martin, and flight paramedic Alex Abel, who are on call seven days a week to respond to an emergency or transport patients between facilities. With spring's arrival, work is underway at a bevy of road and street repair projects in KMA Land. Motorists in Shenandoah face detours because of two high-profile projects, one of which is on West Thomas Avenue from Highway 59 East to Burnett Street. Shenandoah City Administrator A.J. Lyman told KMA News city street crews closed that stretch last month for preliminary work as part of an extensive resurfacing. That stretch of road back to the railroad will be getting uh, repaved here as part of our project that uh, started actually on Monday. We, the city, did some prep work there on West Thomas. The reason it was closed was we were repairing a, uh, a manhole that had caved in there and then another small sewer issue just a little bit further up the street that we got fixed. Also closed is Center Street from Ferguson Road to West Valley Avenue for similar repairs. Lyman says the project included the much-anticipated removal of old railroad tracks in that vicinity. As folks who've been out and about have probably noticed we removed the uh, rail crossing there to help get rid of the big bumps uh, in the road there. Uh, we don't think the, the railroad is going to be coming back and going through there anytime soon. So we went ahead and, and did that. Uh, that was a pretty big project that our street guys did in preparation for them. Another pending project is resurfacing of West Nishner Road from Highway 59 to the Elm Street and Crows intersection. Alignments' work on all three projects depends upon the contractor's schedule, 
which is dictated by the weather. It's got a couple of different phases. They'll have to do some full depth repairs in a couple places, and then they'll be milling and re-black tapping all three roads. So there might be a little bit of work going on in all three portions at any given time. But it's kind of up to those contractors on how and when they, they do things. They the contract is written through the state where they have 65 working days to complete it, but, um, you know, that's all weather dependent. Lyman advises residents to continue following the posted detours and drive carefully around the construction zones. City officials projected $950,000 in bonds in the city's fiscal 2023 budget to cover the costs of all three projects. Funding for Red Oaks Hotel Motel Tax was divvied out this past week. Meeting in regular session Monday night, the Red Oaks City Council approved the recommendations for the annual disbursement of revenue from the city's seven-cent tax on hotel and motel rooms. Red Oak Mayor Shauna Silvius told KMA News the recommendations came from the city's Tourism and Recreation Committee for projects aiming to increase community development. They're applied towards community development-based projects that enrich like our music department, um, some of our amenities like the depot, um, expand and just make improvements. So so it's a way that organizations or groups or um, institutions can actually add value back into the community. Some familiar recipients included the Red Oak Chamber and Industry Association, the Red Oak Classy Chassis Car Club, and the Farmer's Market. However, Sylvia says one unique recipient this year was the Montgomery County Veterans Memorial Court of Honor for $2,500. This is a really a neat request. Um, they're going to have a American flag hot air balloon. It's the largest flying American flag in the world and it will fly over Red Oak during Memorial Day services. Another familiar awardee was the Wilson Performing Arts Center. This time around, Sylvia says the center is receiving up to $2,500 to bring a new event to town. They requested funds for something called Junkton. This is a new event showcasing vendors and repurposed junk, such as furniture, crafts, etc. That that will be, uh, it'll be pretty popular, I believe. Something like Junk Stock that's held in Omaha. Uh, is an event that would be similar to. It'll be held in the courtyard of the Stadium 34. Other awardees included $7,000 to the Red Oak Music Boosters to assist in purchasing a four-piece timpani set and bass drum and $8,100 to the Save Our Depot Group for interior renovations and parking expansion at the Red Oak Depot. Funding will also be going to the Red Oak Athletic Boosters and the Montgomery County Ag Society. However, one change that Councilman Janice Lester, who is a member of the committee, says they'll be looking at before the September application deadline are the guidelines of in-kind donations on the application. We are getting some, we're going out and getting some ideas from everybody because we do believe that there needs to be a percentage of in-kind, that it's not just 50%. You you have to have a percentage of the in-kind done and you have to document it correctly and thoroughly. So before we meet and approve in September, we will have met again and gone through that application and brought it back to the city council to see if they agree with little changes that we make. In total, the council approved just over $51,000 for various projects within the city. Nebraska city officials are still accepting public feedback on proposed uses of federal COVID relief dollars. Over the past month, residents have attended two town hall meetings to air suggestions on the expenditure of $1.2 million in American Recovery Plan Act funds. 
Nebraska City City Council recapped developments from the last town hall meeting held late last week at its regular meeting Monday evening. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Tuesday morning, Nebraska City Mayor Brian Beckett says some familiar themes emerged from last Thursday's meeting. The last group has said that again that they want housing and they're looking at putting the money towards that, which we can do for workforce housing and all of that. And we're also looking at daycare issues, broadband issues, some of those. We had a couple of interesting new ideas from folks last time that came in, and they were talking about looking at the possibility of using some of the money to upgrade our facilities, public facilities, parks, and things like that to make them a little more ADA-friendly. So that was a good idea from folks that came in last time. One more town hall meeting takes place April 14th at 6 p.m. at the Rowe Public Safety Center. Beckett says other town hall meetings are possible, especially during the day or on a Saturday when more people could attend. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.